Okay, so if you look at the back of the bulletin, you see uh, an XY axis. Um, sorry if this is bringing up some bad memories from high school geometry. <laughs> okay, but uh, this is what it is, okay? We're gonna talk about, uh, real briefly, uh, pre-COVID and post-COVID life, okay? So, uh, as you can see, you wanna number these boxes, one, two, three, and four in a clockwise position, all right? And it should be kind of self-explanatory, but if it's not, uh, number one is uh, what's a habit you did before lockdown? Um, you know, just a regular habit that you did before we even knew about COVID, okay? That you still wanna keep, okay, after, uh, yeah, after COVID, all right? Um, and what's something, number two, is a habit that you formed during lockdown, all right, that you want to keep, like a new habit that you developed and formed during lockdown that you want to keep. Okay, I'll give you one example for me. Uh, I started doing yoga regularly after lockdown. Like, I did yoga a lot more at home. Um, it was a little awkward for me to do yoga, like, in a studio. Uh, so I just started doing it regularly at home, and uh, that's definitely something I want to keep doing. Okay, so... Um, yeah. Number three is, uh, what's something that you started doing during lockdown or after lockdown that you want to stop doing, okay, that you want to get rid of, okay, that you want to toss, okay? Um, <laughs> uh, okay, I'll be very honest with you, okay? Something that I started doing regularly, more often is like, I started drinking like pretty more regularly. Uh, now, I don't get drunk every night, okay? Uh, I rarely get drunk, but like, I think I probably have a glass or two uh, most nights of the week, okay? And that's probably something I shouldn't do <laughs> moving forward, all right? Um, gosh, I don't know why I just admitted that to you. All right, and then uh, uh, four is something that you did before lockdown, like, something, like a habit you did before lockdown that you want to toss, okay, that you need to toss in your life, but like a bad habit that you've always done that you want to get rid of, okay? So let's spend uh, maybe two minutes, three minutes filling that out, and then we'll spend another couple minutes talking about it with our neighbors. Let's uh, gather back together, and um, if there are any <laughs> brave souls who are willing to share just one of the things that they put on, the, uh, on their square, um, yeah, anyone willing to share? Yeah, Riley? Okay. Uh, Paul put what? Walking? Oh, washing hands. Oh, yeah, that's a good habit. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Thanks for volunteering someone else's <laughs> personal info. Anyone else? Number four. Oh, yeah, I, what, what'd you put for number four? Partying. Partying, okay. <laughs> Oh, you want to stop partying? Well, I, I stopped going to like too many like, crowded places. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't really party anymore. Okay, good. Good. <laughs> good. All right. Anyone else? Yes, Becky? Before I put hanging out with people at Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah, you have no problem saying no. Yeah. Well, you didn't really have a problem saying no before, but now you're, uh, yeah, yeah, you feel obligated sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yes, Emily. Mindless scrolling. Yes. Oh yeah. Oh, that's a good one. I do that all the time. I don't even. I do it. I do it so subconsciously. I don't even. That that didn't even come up as a possibility for me. Thank you. Anyone else? Let's just do one more. George. Yeah. Oh, so number two? Yeah, you started doing more outdoor stuff? Yeah, cool, awesome. Yeah, because all indoor gyms were closed for like a year, right? Yeah. Cool, all right, awesome. Okay, so uh, this next slide, or um, it's a video. Uh, it's a very interactive today because I'm kind of taking advantage of the TV. Uh, it's kind of related to what we're talking about. Oh, whoops, sorry. This kind of work schedule has become commonplace in China. Sorry, let me start over. To 9 p.m., six days a week. This kind of work schedule has become commonplace in China, especially in tech and ancient families. As technopreneurs hope, this industrious chief's attitude will translate into business success. However, the dark side of working 996 came into the spotlight in January 2021, when an employee died while working for an e-commerce giant, Pinduoduo. But this wasn't the first time 996 came to public attention. In 2019, an online movement called 996.icu, initiated by Chinese IT practitioners, criticized the practice of 996 in posts, stating it threatened the health of tech employees. These posts trended online as many tech workers related to the frustrations of overwork. However, many, like Nicole, still cannot escape the grind. Nicole was born in 1992. After getting her master's degree in the UK, she worked 996 in a tech company in Shenzhen for three years. In 2020, she left this company to work for one of the biggest, biggest internet companies in China. But the situation only got worse. It's pretty depressing. Um, I don't know if you caught the beginning of that. Uh, did you catch what 996 was? Working 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. six days a week. And that was kind of like the industry standard in China's tech world. Now, 
I'm not 100% familiar with what China's work culture is, especially in their tech industry, but I imagine it must be so difficult to keep up with the daily demands that is expected of them. And now that's in China, right? Um, but I'm wondering if we're that far off from the 996 culture here in the States. Last week, we spoke briefly about Jeff Bezos and the unbalanced work culture for Amazon employees. Um, I did some more research on this this past week and it's like way more, it's way worse than I thought uh, for Amazon employees. First of all, their system of promotion is inherently racist um, because a lot of the manual labor in their warehouses and deliveries uh, do not have college degrees. And many of them are black and brown people who have no option but to go straight to work right out of high school because of their uh, background. Uh, but unless an Amazon employee has a college degree, there is no possibility of them becoming like a management level or moving up in the chain. Eventually, after three years of these like manual labor jobs, uh, Amazon employees, uh, if they're not promoted, they're laid off because they're viewed as uh, no longer valuable to the company. Also, the demands of Amazon customers, people like you and me, uh, are so high and so demanding, and our expectations are so ridiculously uh, high now that uh, there is such a small margin of error for delivery people. I don't know about you, but if my Amazon Prime package is delayed one day, I am so pissed off. I'm like flipping tables. I'm like, what the hell is this? Oh, what's the point of paying for Prime if it's going to be like three days instead of two days? Uh, but I get really upset, right? And I think we've all kind of gotten used to it. So uh, for delivery people, this expectation, they feel it every day, right? And so it's been commonly reported by hundreds, hundreds of Amazon delivery people that uh, they don't even have time for bathroom breaks. That uh, there's all of these packages that they have to deliver on uh, by a certain time. And uh, maybe typically if they need to have a bathroom break, they'll stop at like a Starbucks or a Target or even a public park. Like that's on the way, okay? That's en route from one destination to another. But if it's not, then uh, they carry bottles with them in the van. They carry empty bottles with them in the van. And this is like not rare, okay? This is like pretty common for many Amazon employees. And I was thinking like, well, what's, as a guy, I was thinking like, what's the big deal? You know, like peeing in a bottle. <laughs> but I'm thinking like, but there's actually female Amazon <laughs> delivery people, right? Like just the thought of uh, women having to degrade themselves like that is like so, I just feel so like dirty about that. Now, uh, there's even an official statement that came out from Amazon describing uh, furniture delivery. Now, I don't know if you've ever ordered furniture from Amazon before, but there's this option of having one of the Amazon employees assemble it for you and you pay a little bit extra. Now, these are just the regular Amazon delivery people. Uh, they don't train them or anything on how to assemble certain furniture together. Sometimes they're kind of elaborate, right? Uh, sometimes they're simple, but other times they're like very elaborate. Um, but there's this one specific example of this uh, ottoman. Uh, there's this 59-piece ottoman, uh, and uh, they give them 11 minutes to put it together, okay? It's 11 minutes to deliver the ottoman, 
take it out of the packaging, put it together, and then get rid of the packaging in 11 minutes, which is ridiculous, right? That's like me putting together like a side table. It takes me like three days. <laughs> uh, so like now, um, now let's think about our own current work situation or maybe your school situation. Uh, your situation might not be this extreme. Um, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying or promoting that we should be lazy or not be hard workers. I'm all about uh, being good at your job and um, you know, working hard. But there is this tendency that we feel in our culture that pushes us and pushes us to work harder, to work more, and to earn more money. And part of it is because we want to be happy, right? We want to be happy, and we want to live this life of happiness. In America, I would say most people's goals in life is to live a life of happiness. In the Oxford Dictionary, the American dream is defined as uh, the traditional social ideas of the United States of America. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of justice. We've all heard this before, right? That, that this is the American dream, life, liberty, and the pursuit of justice. But as I'm getting older, I'm realizing more and more that the American dream is a lie. It's a big, fat lie. Over the past few centuries, we've seen a lot of the hypocrisy with the American dream, have we not? Yes, we want life, but we'll have to slaughter a whole slew of Native Americans in order to get it. Yes, we want liberty, but certain classes of people and certain ethnic groups will have more liberties than others. And the pursuit of happiness. What is that really? The pursuit of happiness. I wonder if it's been embedded in our heads uh, even before we were born, the mantra and ideals of capitalism. Make more money, buy more things, get a bigger house, switch out your car every two to three years. And we've all kind of bought into this with no questions asked. But where does all of that get us as a society? Pursuing a life of happiness will leave a person feeling unsatisfied, will make us greedier as a culture, and will make us feeling lonelier than ever before. Uh, that might sound um, a little extreme to you, but hopefully today's message will be able to agree on that statement together, that the American dream is a lie. And then here's the central truth for today's message which is the world desires happiness, but the children of God pursue joy. The world desires happiness, but the children of God pursue joy. And joy is a much better goal for our lives than happiness. And a lot of times people use these two words synonymously, uh, joy and happiness, um, but the truth is, joy is actually very different from happiness. What's the difference between happiness and joy? Uh, today's passage lays that out for us uh, pretty well. So if you have your Bibles or your Bible app, 
Turn with me to Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 13. Okay? Philippians 4, verses 4 through 13. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at, least, that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Amen. All right, so um, today we just read from the book of Philippians, chapter 4. Now, Philippians was written by none other than the uh, great apostle Paul. And he is writing to the church in a city called Philippi. Now, the city of Philippi was predominantly a Gentile city, meaning there existed uh, no Jewish synagogues in the whole city of Philippi. And actually, its origins came from a very Greek background. So it was named after King Philip II, who was the king of Macedon. Okay, and Greek was, uh, a lot of them were from uh, the Macedonian Empire before it became Greek. And he was the father of the most powerful Greek king in history. Do you, does anyone know who Ma uh, King Philip II's son is? Who's probably the most powerful Greek king in history that you can think of? Does anyone know? His name sounds similar to mine. No? Anyone? Yes? Alex. Alex. Oh my. Thank you, Emily. Alexander the Great. Okay. So King Philip II. Do any of you feel a little embarrassed? <laughs> Alexander the Great. So King Philip II is the father of none other than Alexander the Great. Um, and uh, the... After the Roman Empire came into power, they pretty much colonized the city of Philippi, and the Philippians adapted the Roman law and lifestyle. Thus, the Philippians were both Greek in their background and, and, and in their ethnicity, but Roman in their citizenship and in their practice, and they were a very proud people. They loved the fact that they came from this uh, really rich Greek history, but the fact that they were also citizens of the most powerful empire in the world at the time, which was the Roman Empire. Now, uh, Paul, Apostle Paul, uh, he loved this church in the city of Philippi for several reasons. One, 
it was predominantly a Gentile church, meaning like they didn't come from like these uh, heavy-handed Jewish backgrounds. And a lot of the frustration that Paul had as a Jewish man was that um, he had a difficult time dealing with very religious Jewish people. Now, I've been a pastor for a while. I've, I've uh, been the youth pastor at uh, a large like mega church and then i was a, a young adult pastor at like a methodist church in pasadena for a few years and now we're trying to start this new church and i can understand now where paul's frustration with like really religious jewish people come from some of the most frustrating people that i've had to deal with as a pastor are extremely religious people people who are very set in their ways they're very not, not there's nothing wrong with being traditional but because they're so overly traditional, they don't want to change anything. And uh, I found it very refreshing when I am uh, working and, and ministering and caring for young adults, but also for people who are not super churchy, because it's like a clean slate. They don't have these preconceived notions of what church should be, and they don't input their own like uh, baggage, <laughs> and they don't bring their own religious baggage to the community. And so. Um, if you are not super churchy, that's actually really good, okay? If you are super churchy, you're still welcome. I still love you. Uh, the other thing that Paul really loved about the church in the city of Philippi is their partnership in the gospel. And he mentions this in verses 5 and 6. Uh, they worked tirelessly with Apostle Paul in the church and in his uh, missionary efforts. They worked alongside him. They prayed for him and they gave generously to him. And this is the last thing that he loves so much about the church in Philippi is that uh, they are extremely generous and kind. The Christians in the city of Philippi often shared with one another. Uh, they supported Paul's missionary efforts and they gave frequently to the poor and the needy in their neighborhoods. Now, the word that Paul used to describe these people in the church of Philippi is joy. Okay. They are a very, very joyful people. He, he loved them so much, uh, and, and he, he called them this so many times in the book of Philippians that the New Testament scholars gave this book the nickname, The Letter of Joy. The word joy appears in the book of Philippians uh, at least 16 times, okay? If not more, uh, if you count the word like rejoice, okay? Now, why is joy such a noble pursuit and as the title implies, um, happiness is not. Uh, well, the word that Paul used um, to describe these people is joy. And it's not, uh, he's not saying they're a happy people. Okay, he's saying they're a people of joy. Now, the word happiness, interestingly, the word happy or happiness does not appear in the Bible all that often. Okay, here are just a few examples of when it appears. Okay, in James chapter 5, verse 13, uh, James, the brother of Jesus, says, is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. In the book of Proverbs, uh, chapter 15, verse 13, it says, a happy heart makes a face cheerful. And then in Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, uh, verses 12 and 13, it says this, there is nothing better for people than to be happy, that each of them may eat and drink. And there's a, a little bit of uh, sarcasm there, okay? Because Ecclesiastes, if you've ever read through it, it's kind of a depressing book, okay? Um, and in the book of Psalm, chapter six, uh, 68, verse 3, it said, May the righteous be happy and joyful. Okay, in that verse, it actually puts those words next to each other. 
which means that they are not the same. Okay? Happiness and joy are not the same. They're different. Okay? So here's a really, really simple uh, definition of joy. Joy is uh, fulfillment, satisfaction, and this general uh, feeling of uh, contentment. Okay? Joy is fulfillment, satisfaction, or contentment. Happiness, on the other hand, is an emotion as a result of an experience or event. Okay? Happiness is an emotion as a result of an experience or event. So the fact that many Americans use these two words interchangeably doesn't make any sense. Okay? Joy is not an emotion. Okay? It's this overall sense of uh, fulfillment and satisfaction, whereas happiness is an emotion. Okay? And I'm not saying that feeling happy is bad. Okay? Like, I, I like to feel happy. Okay? Uh, who, who doesn't like feeling happy? But we shouldn't make that the goal of our lives. In the New Testament, uh, the word that uh, we have for joy is uh, a Greek word, for, uh, which means kara, okay? And this word is actually closer to the word that means peace. So you could actually use the two words joy and peace interchangeably, not joy and happiness. And the reason why Paul encourages the Christians in the city of Philippi to pursue joy, okay, is because of this reason. It's because he knows that joy is ultimately what is going to satisfy and fulfill our hearts. And he begins today's passage by saying, rejoice, rejoice. I will say it again, rejoice. Now, uh, this word rejoice, okay, uh, it's, uh, sometimes we can um, think of like celebrating, like rejoicing, but the actual definition of rejoice is re joy, putting those two words together, okay? So he's encouraging the, the Christians in Philippi to live in this perpetual state of joy, okay? To live in this perpetual state of joy or uh, peace or shalom, which is what the Jews call peace. And when we live this way, the first fruit that we see in our lives is gratitude, okay? So joy leads to gratitude, but happiness leads to entitlement. Joy leads to gratitude, but happiness leads to entitlement. Verse 6 says this, okay? Uh, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now, uh, verses 5 and 6 in today's passage is a continuation from verse 4. In verse 4, uh, Paul says, uh, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. He's saying, like, make this the goal of your life, uh, joy. Okay, that's what we're supposed to pursue. And verses 5 and 6 is a continuation from that. So verse 4 is like, if you live in this state of joy, then it will result in this. Okay, it's an if-then statement. If you live in joy, then you will live in gentleness with the people around you. If you live in joy then there's really no need to be anxious about anything. If you live in joy, you will give thanks and you will live a life of gratitude. And that's ultimately what it's saying in verse six. Pursuing happiness actually does not lead to gratitude all of the time. In fact, 
If you think about happiness as an emotion, as a result of an experience or event, it's highly addictive, right? Once you ha uh, feel euphoria, right, and you experience this event, okay, then uh, you're gonna be waiting for the next event or experience to make you feel that way, right? And then when that's over, you're gonna look for the next thing to make you feel happy. And then when that's over, you're gonna look for the next thing. And so it's this kind of like vicious cycle and it's addictive. And when you don't have those experiences or events for a long time, you become very upset. <laughs> you become disgruntled, right? And it's almost like you're experiencing like these uh, withdrawal symptoms, right? And so happiness is like this, uh, pursuit of happiness is like this vicious cycle where you have to move, uh, move on to the next event or the next experience that's gonna make you feel that way. Joy is not like that, okay? Joy is being content, finding satisfaction in, in God, in our relationship with God, no matter what kind of situation we are in. And when we live in this state of joy, it also results in altruism, okay? It also results in altruism, okay? Kindness, goodness, okay, gentleness, all of these wonderful things that's listed in verse 8. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. People of joy will pursue these things that Paul just listed in verse 8. Uh, because the Philippians were so joyful, it was very natural for them to be kind to others, to be generous with their belongings, to live honorable lives, to live justly, and to, um, to, to pursue these things in their lives. But happiness, on the other hand, is very self-centered. It's very self-centered, right? Because it's all about make, like making me happy, okay? It's all about uh, making me happy. So it's really, really selfish to pursue this life of happiness. And it doesn't really matter who I have to uh, walk over. It doesn't matter who I have to uh, abuse in order for me to be happy, right? Because that's my, the pursuit, the goal of my life is to be happy. So um, for those of you who are maybe single right now, or for those of you who are dating, uh, don't look for someone who makes you happy, okay? Look for someone who makes you a better person. Amen? Okay, don't look for someone who is just constantly going to make you happy. Then you're going to look at this person and treat this person as kind of like an object. You're kind of objectifying this person. And if this person doesn't constantly make you happy, give you that euphoria, then eventually you're going to end up resenting that person, right? And then, uh, and then it, it might end badly. So look for someone who actually makes you a better person and helps you live that life of joy or peace. This is why, um, this is what I want to do for uh, Becky, and I hope this is what Becky does for me, is that we make each other better people. So I never make it my goal in life to make her happy. I'm just kidding about that, okay? <laughs> like I said, there, there's nothing wrong with being happy, okay? I'm not, I'm not like poo-pooing on, on happiness, but don't make it your life's goal, okay? That's a really, really shallow and superficial goal. We have to pursue something greater. And lastly, joy is spiritual, uh, but happiness is circumstantial, 
Okay, and this is very much related to the previous two points, all right? Because happiness is uh, dependent on events or experiences, it's very, very circumstantial, right? It's very, very circumstantial. And if, every, if something in your life is not going well, then you're going to be upset, right? And you can't be happy, right? You can't experience happiness. You can't live this way. So you're always going to be looking for the next thing that makes you happy. But joy comes from our relationship with God. Okay, it transcends all worldly understanding, as it says in verse 7. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This joy, this peace that we desire in our lives can only come from God. It's something spiritual. It's something intangible. It's not something that we can get from this world. Happiness, on the other hand, is very much dependent on our circumstances. And Paul elaborates on this in verses uh, 11 through 13. He says, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. One little thing, uh, one little important detail that I forgot to mention is that when Paul was writing this letter to the church in the city of Philippi, he was actually in prison. Okay, He was actually in, in jail. And so... And back then, in the first century, uh, the prisons were like way worse than the prisons today, okay? They're like straight up dungeons, okay? Like he's probably literally in chains, but the one privilege that he still had was being able to write letters. And so, can you, and so when he's saying like, uh, like he himself is like experiencing joy or living a life of joy, he's not talking about like being happy. Can you imagine him being in prison and being like happy? Like, then he would just like straight up look like a psycho, right? Like everyone would be like, what's wrong with this guy? He's in prison, like in chains, and he's happy. He's not talking about experiencing these emotions, okay? He's talking about finding peace, find, having joy, no matter what situation he is in, okay? This is why he said, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances, okay? He comes from this very noble, highly educated, wealthy background, so he literally knows what it's like to have a lot of money, and he knows what it's like to have nothing. He knows what it's like to be adored and loved by everyone around him, and he also knows what it's like to be lonely and in prison. And still, in spite of all of that, he is able to experience joy. He is able to live a life of joy. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want my life to be dependent on my circumstances. Okay, I don't want my state of peace. I don't want my spiritual health. I don't want my sanity to be dependent on how much money is in the bank, uh, what my job status is, um, you know, how, how my career or how my, how my life is going. Okay, now, don't get me wrong. I'm always going to try to look out for myself and work hard and do what I need to do for my family, but at the same time, I don't want the state of my spiritual health to be dependent on that. It can't be. It can only come from God. So I hope uh, we can do some of uh, reflection on, on this throughout the week, okay? Um, joy uh, leads to gratitude. Uh, joy results in altruism and kindness. And joy is ultimately, it's, it's a spiritual gift. It's not something we could find in the world. Let's pray.
Lord, thank you so much for blessing us with all of the means that require for us to live a good and healthy life. I know oftentimes we are always looking for the next thing or looking for something bigger or better. But our ultimate satisfaction, our ultimate peace, our ultimate joy can only come from you. Lord, help us to nurture the very thing that can give us joy, the only thing that can give us joy, which is our relationship with you. And you have given us the ability, the means to do that by giving us the example of your son, Jesus Christ. And we look to you as our source of life, as our source of joy. We thank you and we love you. And we proud this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.